I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 159. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Cece Jacobson. Cece is a public speaker, social media influencer, and trans activist from Estroy, the east island of the Faroe Islands, a collection of 18 small islands about halfway between Norway and Iceland. You can find her on Instagram at CC Jacobson. That's C-E-E-C-E-E Jacobsen, J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N, or on TikTok also at CC Jacobson and then the letter C and C after that. And she's also on YouTube, CC Jacobson CC. And... The two of us in this episode, we talk about her experience as the first openly trans person in her entire country, as well as the narratives around performing gender, disclosing that you're trans, and the use of labels for our sexual and gender identity. So if this is something that is interesting to you, I highly recommend tuning in. Cece's a wonderful speaker and um, is really... Heartwarming uh, slash heart wrenching to hear her share some of her story and and the experiences that she's had uh, growing up trans in the Faroe Islands in this relatively small small community. So it was really lovely to get to know Cece a little bit better and really enjoyable to talk to her. So I hope you enjoy listening. His interests were mainly masculine, and his success at sports made him sure of himself. He could take girls in his stride, just as he did games. Mother, is it wrong to feel warm and affectionate when you, when you with a boy you really like? No, dear, it is not wrong. When young people come and ask me, should we get married now? I usually ask them a few questions first, like, have you known each other long enough? be sure that you are choosing the right person. Cece, you and I can dive straight in. What I'd like to do is to begin with a little bit of an introduction um, from you. So I, I want to invite you to introduce who you are, what it is that you do, and what are you passionate about? Uh, my name is Cecilia Jacobson. I go by Cece usually. I'm from the Faroe Islands, which is a tiny country in the North Atlantic Ocean. And um, I was the first transsexual in the country and sort of uh, carried the cross there, so to speak, for that. And uh, I'm also neurodivergent. I have ADHD and uh, and just lived, I guess, a very different life to most people and had a different personality to most people just from the go as well. And so the it's the term amalgamation or the culmination or whatever of all those things led me to become this I guess to to some people, interesting adult who has the weird ways of thinking and and I guess unique points of view sometimes, which is what drew me to to the internet and sort of by accident, I I I had an audience suddenly and 
I'm not sure what I do. I, 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 I just, I share my, my unique perspectives based on my unique life, I guess. I did public speaking before the pandemic about my life and sort of to sort of heal myself and also to hopefully help other people move past their traumas not because not in a like a in a way where it's like you you get over it and it's done for but just so that you don't stay stuck in the the negative um side effects of it like because it sort of consumes you usually if if it's you know bad enough and i'm not saying that i can cure you but hopefully i can make you see the beauty of life just a little bit even as i struggle myself occasionally you know so yeah that's, that's really that's, beautiful. I guess that's what I do. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And, and what are you really passionate about? Sex. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, well, I mean, so am I. That's why I do this. But yeah, that's really great. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm honest. I'm I'm passionate about human connection. Um, I'm looking into becoming. Uh, this is like very new. So like, don't hold me to this. But I'm looking into becoming like a, a tantric practitioner. Oh, amazing. Because I've I discovered a love of, of of tantric, let's call it therapy, in twenty twenty one or so, and tantric massages and and tantric everything really. So yeah, I'm I'm passionate about human connection and authenticity and and um, I guess the 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 loving the ugly of being human. I guess. Hmm, that's super poetic. Um, and I would love to circle back around to your experience of Tantra um, because I have a lot of things that I think would be relevant to our conversation. But before we get there, um, I was curious if you feel comfortable exploring it and, and talking about it, what your experience was carrying the cross, so to speak, of being the first transsexual from the, the Faroe Islands. What did that, what, what do you mean by that? What did that look like if you feel comfortable sharing? I think there's many ways to sort of look at it because obviously it's, you know, it was many, many, many years of doing it. But I think if you, if we look at it from a perspective that's relevant to, to your podcast, it meant that I had, I, you know, I went through great periods of loneliness and my sexual development was very, very different because access is different when you are queer, especially when you're transsexual. And especially if, even though everyone hates you and tells you you're disgusting, you're still crazy enough to have standards. So I was, you know, I was very, very lonely. And I think looking at how people are expressing themselves online, that's very uh, uh, current as well, right? There's a lot of loneliness and people sort of seeking intimacy. And it was, it was lonely. And it was, it was, uh, I hated myself for many, many years. And I thought that I had to be this perfect woman to be worthy of, of, of anything and to be worthy of love and to be worthy of, of, um, of desire and, and intimacy and companionship. And it was, it was fucking hard is what it was, you know, and I still live with, with the scars of it and. It, it wasn't something that I would have chosen, you know, it, it's not, it's not something that I would, that I would ever do out of the goodness of my heart. It's what I did to survive. 
people would, you know, say, say to me that, you know, because of me, they, they had the courage to be themselves. And I just always felt like a fraud because it wasn't something I did out of bravery or, or to do something good for other people. It was something, it was the only way I knew how to exist. I don't know if I answered your question, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was hard and lonely and heartbreaking and damaging is what it was. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And and I appreciate you you speaking so candidly about it. You mentioned something in there about like, you know, you felt this pressure possibly internalized, possibly from external sources of like being the perfect woman. And we kind of just joked prior to recording of like presenting in a certain way and looking a certain way on screen in particular, and maybe in front of other people. And I was wondering if we could kind of dive into that a little bit more about like, you know, what it means to kind of you know, be the perfect woman, at least in your experience and perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you, when you grow up in a way that where you don't have access to true intimacy, you, you can only go by what's in books and movies and of course in porn. And so I think I developed an idea of myself and what I needed to be based on what, what I saw performed. And, and I think I felt that I couldn't offer traditional, traditional things to people. So I had to be all of the things that I could be, I had to be better than everyone. Not that it was ever centered around other people. I never, I was never jealous of people. I was never, I was never competing with anyone else. It was just more like, it felt very important to be the, the I guess, a fantasy of a sort, you know, delivering a fantasy, not ever questioning whether or not that was actually what anybody wanted me to be either. You know, it's sort of just what I thought I, I, the idea that maybe somebody would want me as a person didn't really exist because that's how low my self-esteem was. And so I had this, I think I was, it's hard to answer what it is that you thought about your, uh, of who you were because who I was, was not about myself. It was about what, what, what I thought other people wanted from me. So everything that you are is, is, is a response to how you interpret your environment, essentially. <laughs> God, what, about, uh, what about today? What about today? Uh, I, I presume, and I, of course, don't want to put words in your mouth, but I presume you've, you've found a more authentic expression of who you are. And I'm curious to know, like, what, is that, what does that mean for you today? I think it means many things. I think when you grow up very fractured, you become many different people or many different aspects of yourself. And so I'm currently trying to, um, to put them all together into one person, if that makes sense. And trying to, to, um, balance the, all of the real sides of me so that they can all feel like one coherent person. And so that the, the sweet and the innocent and the love seeking isn't so separate from the hardcore sex fiend side of me and so that the the world peace side of me isn't so separate from the side of me that could probably murder someone and 
so that they can all exist in balance. Because I think it's hard because I really I do want companionship and I do want a partner and I do want love just like everyone else. But I think until I'm able to sort of unite those things and understand what they look like in balance, it's hard to really pinpoint you know, who am I today? And and, and what is that? What is that? Does that look like? But what I can say is that I try to authentically embody whichever side of me is at the forefront in the given moment, even if two weeks later, I might not recognize who that person was. <laughs> Do I sound really fucked up? <laughs> no, not at all. I think you're, you're sharing something that, you know, obviously, I've had a very different lived experience than you, but something that I resonate with is this idea of having to be someone who maybe didn't feel like that was coming from internal me but was coming from like mate societal pressure and um you know to obviously to a very different extent like my experience was like i've got to be this young man who is you know, macho and masculine. And I was a collegiate athlete in America as well. So I was part of that kind of locker room, misogynistic, toxic culture, right? All these kind of buzzwords to describe this, this kind of approach to life, I suppose, as a young man. And, you know, for a long time, uh, it like ate me up inside. I was like, this is, doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good, but I did it. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, presented that way, or I did my best to fit in with that kind of group of men, that group of young men, because I was scared of being ostracized. I was scared of being bullied. I was bullied. You know, I shared this a few times, but in high school, you know, people bullied me because they thought I was gay. My best friend was gay. And so I was gay by association. And so I was bullied, you know, for that. And so I felt this like fear. It's, it was fear that kept me like in that box, which is very, you know, there's a there's a whole framework around that called the man box, which is this you know idea of for a lot of men they feel like they have to stay in this rigid set of parameters about what it means to be a man, lest they get called gay or a pussy or whatever. And so for a long time, I I you know especially during those younger years, maybe let's say 14 to 19, had a lot of mental health issues, was drinking heavily because I was. I was disconnected from who I wanted to be and who I, you know, who I feel like I am today. And that was because of a lot of therapy. I just went to therapy essentially and unpacked um, a lot of stuff. I was very lucky that the school that I went to was able to provide therapy for their students. And so I started going when I was, you know, 19. And so I was very fortunate enough to be able to like go, okay, what narratives? I did narrative therapy with my therapist. So like what stories do I tell myself and are they, from me or those stories from other people and from society in general? Which ones do I resonate with? Which ones do I align with? Which ones do I think are really unhelpful and not serving me or the people around me? Uh, and so I have been doing that essentially for the last 10 you know, years. So I, I resonate that's with very, that idea. Uh, that's a very interesting th uh, type of therapy that I should probably look into. My, some of my friends say that that um that I think I'm crazier than I am probably because of how many times I've been called crazy or deemed crazy by people who don't understand me. So even my therapist says this as well. I'll say something that's completely banal and be like, I don't know, I don't know if that's crazy. And she's like, no, that's really normal. Like literally everyone, but I don't know because 
you know, I also think that group sex is normal. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard for me to, to sort of gauge what other, what, what is normal to people because there's no difference between serial and group sex to me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, like it's the, it's <laughs> like neither of them registers heavier on me. Um, but the thing that you said about the man box is interesting because obviously growing up the way that I did, I've always looked, I've always looked away that to some degree or other is, is appealing to, to people that are into attracted to women. And so, you know, one of the things that happened in my life is that, you know, I, I went out of my way to let people know who and what I was and still that whole like trap narrative was spun about me that I would, you know, lure men into bed with me, et cetera, even though I was, I'd never slept with anyone because I hated my body so much. And, and it sort of became this thing where even just being nice to me was taboo in my country. And so you talk about this man box, uh, you know, being, of being like put into it or, but I, I, I was sort of like, I grew up understanding that I would cause that for other people. You know, I grew up understanding my own taboo, if that makes sense. And I would understand it when friends of mine would just stop talking to me because they couldn't take it because it was, it was just being associated with me was that, you know, it, it was toxic to them. It was poison to them. People didn't want me to be happy. And so if they had to destroy other people in order to keep, you know, keep me miserable, then so be it, right? I, I think that it's like oddly, like obviously I don't think it's beautiful that you <laughs> that you were so miserable, but it's nice to hear that it was hard for you to 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 go through that. That it wasn't just like oh well I'll 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 ditch the the gay guy then fuck that then that it was that it was hard for you to have to go through that because to me it would often seem like that was the easy choice. You know, it would seem like it was easy for these people who I thought were my friends to just go, well, fuck the tranny. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with that. My life is easier without her. Ironically, though, some of the nicest guys were athletes. So I know that we talk a lot about, you know, toxic masculinity in sports, but some of my, you know, earliest male friends and best male friends and who would invite me places and take me to parties that they were all athletes. So it's not all bad, I guess, <laughs> I guess, you know, it was, um, but yeah, so that it, it was just, it was just nice to hear that it was hard for you. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not happy that your life was hard, but it's <laughs> nice to hear that it's not so easy to, to, to do that either, you know? I'm not saying you did that either. Obviously, you you might no, have stayed I, friends I with you. No, I appreciate what you're you're what you're alluding to, and and um and thank you for the empathy. I realize that like my experience is probably a lot easier than your own experience. So very grateful um for for the empathy and and the um you know the something that that is a th- you know an idea I suppose that's thrown around a lot in you know the men's work spaces that I run in is this idea of like wearing a mask. And I often, you know, kind of think of that as like um, performing, right? Like performing masculinity. I often feel like I performed masculinity for a long, you know, a certain version of masculinity, I'll say for a long time during those years. Um, I do my best not to perform masculinity so much these days. There are still some, some things that are very performative, but for much more intentional reasons. 
Um, and so I, I want to like kind of pose that question to you, I guess, is like, do you feel like you're wearing a mask in any sense, or do you feel like you're performing anything today or have gone through a period of, I guess, like you spoke about this before, I recognize I'm ranting a little bit, but just that, that question around like performativity, is there anything that comes up for you around that? I think I perform normality a lot. I think I, I, I'm very neurodivergent and I, I don't really understand. I don't really understand the way that neurotypical people function to a large degree. I don't really understand what they find interesting or I don't understand why, you know, I often use an example someone dying in a different country versus someone dying three blocks away that you also didn't know. I don't know why you're more distressed about the person closer to you because they're both strangers. Like, And then you come across as emotionally cold and unempathic, but I think you are unempathic because why don't you care about people in different countries? That's That's odd to me. But because people sort of don't they don't function like you. They can agree that you're the odd one out. And so you're wrong, right? So a lot of the times I I just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because it, it's, no, it's no point having the conversation. But in terms of gender, no, I, I am naturally very, very feminine. I always have been. It's not something, but I have, but I have a lot of experience with men performing masculinity, you know, growing up. And also, you know, when I was a kid, so boys, because they were kids too, the way that they were in public versus when you then get to know them, the depth that's behind the the character that they portray, that the sweet, the, the concerned, the gentle, the sensitive, the, the sad, all of these things that, you know, you would be shocked that this character this uh this jokester in school whatever that they because they never showed that right and so i think it's easy to get the impression that they just don't feel that way i don't i don't feel like i perform gender to that degree the way that cis people do and maybe even some trans people maybe but no i think i'm quite i'm lucky in the sense that i don't understand gender very well I never have. I never understood. Um, I never grew up thinking that, you know, playing with a Barbie made me a girl and playing with a Spider-Man made me a boy. Like I didn't, it's, it's never, it, that way of thinking never registered with me. So I guess I don't feel the pressure to, but I guess in terms of when you're trans, you know, there are certain body things and, and, and stuff that you do feel whether that is pressure to perform something or whether that's internal discomfort. I don't know. And I don't know if those two things really are very different because I think cis, cis people do gender affirming things as well. They just don't call them that, you know, when men go to the gym and even when they, you know, take steroids, that's gender affirming. That's, that's, <laughs> they have dysphoria essentially, you know, to, when, when women get breast implants, how is that not gender affirming to them? You know, it's, um, so I don't know that I do anything that's out of the ordinary now in that sense. But I think I do also, I put a lid on certain things, I would say. I'm very hypersexual, not in the sense that I have to fuck people all the time, but I think about sex a lot. I, like, I feel like everyone has a main driver in life. Everyone has a main energy or two or three. And for some people, it's family. For some people, it's, yeah, it's, it's adrenaline. For some people, it's 
giving back or whatever. For me, it's sex or eroticism or sensuality, whatever you want to call it. I'm very, I, 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 I function on that level. And I find that difficult because people don't, a lot of people have very fucked up relationships to, to sex. And so if you are a very erotic woman, a lot of men can't see you as a person beyond that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's hard yes. to be a sensual woman because it, it's not respected and it's not considered something that belongs to a whole person. Because people compartmentalize sensuality and sex a lot, which I don't, you know, cooking is sex to me. Cleaning is sex to me. Every, everything is sex to me. And and so it's, I guess I, I perform, <laughs> I perform normality. Yeah. Sorry for the long answer. No, I, I appreciate what you, you shared just then, which is this. Something in, it's an observation that I've made of of a lot of men that, you know in the work that I've done is a lot of guys don't feel maybe comfortable is the word I'm looking for, but they don't know how to receive a woman who is in her eroticism and in and who like embodies her sexuality. A lot of guys think that it's an invitation, and I, I share very stereotypical examples like the the stripper that flirts with them, right? The exotic dancer that flirts with them. Like a lot of guys think, oh, she's she wants me is, is is what a lot of guys actually think is that like oh this is you know an invitation for me to engage with her sexuality with her eroticism rather than it like it's for it's for me it's for it's for him um as opposed to like it's hers and and she's embodying it so something that i do with a lot of men is like helping them hold that hold that energy or hold that space to be like you know you don't have to think with your dick in a very derogatory way like and just like try and engage with that eroticism like it, it it yeah it's it's an interesting space and and um something that like a lot of guys kind of don't acknowledge until they're like oh shit yeah i do feel uncomfortable or i do feel like i have to flirt with or try and escalate a situation with you know a woman who is really erotic and really sexual um and once that clicks for them they're like oh and there's there's internal scripts there like i you know for, for me as a guy i've you know as a young man i, I always felt like it was unmanly of me not to pursue a woman who, you know, was interested in sex, right? I was like, if I didn't do that, I'd, I'd be labeled as, you know, effeminate or, or you know, or, or God forbid, gay, right? Because I didn't try and sleep with her, right? And so- um, but, the, but there's another issue there, which is that women don't know how to receive men that aren't like that. You know, it's, when when a man has expressed genuine interest in me that isn't primarily sexual, I full on cannot like it's it's like and so many women feel this way. Like we are unable to process that. We don't, we're not taught to believe that that is possible. And so if we if we have learned that our I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, um if 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 we have learned that that sex is how men function. And so that's sort of the energy that we bring, or maybe you are a woman who brings that energy naturally and a man isn't, but he is interested in you. Like a lot of women are like, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Cause they, do, they don't believe like what's wrong with him. Why doesn't he like, he's not attracted to me. He's not this. And it's like this, that's like the other side of it is that, you know, as a man, you're, you're being, not you're being denied intimacy by, there might be some very real soul connections that could be made 
if only you understood that women can actually lead with sexuality and men can find that uncomfortable or lead with emotion and not want sex until later. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean they don't like you. It's because we're all individual people who have individual needs that aren't centered around something so broad and general as that. I've probably made many men uncomfortable with how sexual I am, you know, because to someone who isn't, it seems very aggressive, but to someone who is, it's, it's the same as talking about the weather. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I appreciate you, you bring that other side of the coin and adding some nuance in there because that reflects experiences that I've had with some of my clients, for example, uh, you know, guys who, you know, cishet guys who I, you know, talk about how to take ownership for your sexuality, how to be responsible for your own arousal, how to just like hold that within yourself. And then when they meet a woman who they are interested in and they don't just lead with trying to sleep with her as quickly as possible, they describe to me an experience where she's kind of almost like a deer in the headlights. Like she doesn't really know how to receive him in those situations. And, um, and so I talk to a lot of guys in that space about what I deem sexual leadership, which is lateral leadership, not hierarchical leadership, which is like lead by example, essentially. So it's like if you are interested in, you know, talking about intimacy and sexuality and fantasy and other things that, you know, are interested, you know, interesting to you, um, and you don't have this agenda to just like sleep with this particular person as quickly as possible, then demonstrate that, you know, like lead with that and say, hey, I'm just really interested in, you know, I just read this you know, blog or I just listen to this podcast. I'm super curious about this particular thing. Like, I'd love to hear your insights on it. I'd love to hear what you think about it. What's your perspective on this? And just like be genuine and curious about that. And, um, and hopefully if you can kind of create that safety, that space, like your, this person you're talking to, right? In the context of this, it's a woman, she will join you in that, hopefully, right? If you've created that space for it. Um, I kind of think of it as like you're jumping into a, into a body of water, you're jumping into the lake. And you kind of take your clothes off first and you dive in first and you and you reach out a hand and you say, come on in, the water's fine. You know, I've, I've kind of tested it, like, come on and, and, and join me in this. Um, so I appreciate you, you sharing that because it definitely is something that I've, I've noticed. And to do it without judgment, you know, to, 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 to do it from a place of like, you know, I find you desirable. Um, for me, sex is something that comes later and something that I would probably love to do with you eventually rather than um i don't know you <laughs> which which is which is how I, which is how i respond to dms that are too sexual because at that point like i don't i don't know you i don't have an interest in you so i don't care if i hurt your feelings but like if you're you know if you are seeing someone or talking to someone and and you get that sense from them it's perfectly fine to you know to say that but i would advise you know keeping in mind maybe that you know you could say it say it like that. And and like you said, engage with them on a personal level. But I think it is, it is really relevant that some women might not understand what that is because it's just not how we're taught to think about men. Um, a lot of us at least. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that's kind of the whole point of this podcast, I suppose, is to kind of shift that narrative in on move the needle in as you know, much or as little as, as we can. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a 
plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. There was a a question I had here, which was around something you mentioned before. And and for people that maybe aren't familiar with it, was that kind of trap narrative. And I, I was wondering if you feel comfortable kind of explaining what that narrative is. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a narrative that I certainly managed to live up to later in life. So I can't, uh, I can't plead my case too, too desperately. But when I was a teen, you know, when you're queer, you usually you get sexualized very early on in life. And I didn't have sex until I was like a full, like fully grown adult. I had sex. I mean, I had different, I mean, intercourse. I had other types of sex earlier, much earlier, very early, actually. But that's beside the point. So the, the the trap narrative is something usually about trans women that essentially boils down to you trick men, straight men into having sex with you under the pretense that you are a quote unquote real woman. And then, and, and that it's something very intentional and, and something very evil where these poor men are now, you know, tricked into a homosexual act or something. I don't, I don't really understand like the full, again, it's like, it is, it's a way of thinking that's very foreign to me, but it's, it's essentially, that's what it is. Men think that you're cis, but you lie or something. In my case, this is like years before I ever had sex. It's years before I had, so I have, I've had a vaginoplasty as they're called, um, bottom surgery. But at this point in life, I'm like 14, 15, and people are saying this about me and they believe it. And, you know, old people are shouting at me in the streets because they believe it. Everybody believes this. It's a small country, only 50,000 people. So whatever people say, you know, everyone hears it. Which again, also, you know, it kind of reinforces that not only do I feel disgusting, I am I am now being called disgusting and people think this is disgusting. And the story sort of went all the way over to like, oh, the, these guys are killing themselves. And it's a tiny country. If people were killing themselves left, right and center, like we would know. <laughs> but still, people don't apply critical thinking if if they get to, you know, confirm their biases and prejudices. So it was sort of like, not only am I as disgusting as I feel, I'm actually so disgusting that people would rather kill themselves than sleep with me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, and I'm, I'm 14. Do you know what I mean? It was crushing to my self as, you know, there are people who don't get over being rejected in the fourth grade once by someone. And, 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 you know, and this was my whole life. Like it was, it was insane. Right. And it's a lot to deal with. And, all, you know, I'm, and I'm also trans and be, I'm also being bullied and I'm also being harassed. And I'm also, you know, I have a hectic home life, not because of like, it was hectic as putting it dramatically, but I'm, I had a lot of issues with my mom who passed away two months ago, plus her. So it was just a lot for a, for a kid, but essentially that is the trap narrative. And then ironically, I sort of my claim to fame on TikTok was a TikTok where I was joking about exactly that, the trap narrative. 
where I, I made a video where I put ketchup on a pad and I wrote a caption that was like, when you've been having amazing sex every day for six months and he suddenly asks you why you're never on your period or something like that. And people got so angry and I sort of had to relive that experience of people calling me, you know, a rapist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Only this time I have to admit that I have slept with many men who didn't know and I don't feel bad about it. But, you know, that's that's a whole other thing. And I have seen that video and I saw another video that you you shared, which was about disclosure and it could, because to kind of like piggyback off of that uh, trap narrative, there's kind of now, at least what I've seen and heard is like, well, you should just be telling everyone you should, you need to be upfront with it. It needs to be the first thing you say to people. And it's like, you need, like people need to, to actively know. And I wanted to, to maybe unpick that a little bit and ask you what your thoughts are. And like the first thing out of your mouth have to be this disclosure. <laughs> uh, I definitely don't think you have to disclose at all to people that you're just sleeping with casually. I, you know, I've said to many people, like a lot of these men did not even ask for my last name. They did not ask me a single personal question. So I don't really see what, you know, had they asked me if I was trans, I would have said yes. You know, they, I've, I've said, I've said to men on dates, I am queer. And then like three days after we've had sex, they're like, what do you mean queer? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, but have you, <laughs> I usually tell people if you don't want to fuck a tranny by accident, don't say tranny. If you don't want to fuck a trans person by accident, stop having sex with strangers because strangers don't owe you anything. Strangers don't owe you their full life story. If, if you're, if you're trying to hook up with a random on the internet, I mean, in this day and age, that person might be trans. If they've, if they haven't had, you know, bottom surgery, I can understand that that would be a surprise, certainly. But, but no, I don't think you have to disclose. Like if, if, if you weren't attracted to a trans person, you there's no need to disclose because you just wouldn't be attracted. I think if it's like a prospective romantic partner, you know, you owe it to yourself to be open because you, you, you deserve to be loved for all that you are. And you deserve to be with someone who can handle everything that you are. But just random sex, 2.30 a.m. at the bar, please, <laughs> please. Thank you for, for sharing. I, I, um, yeah, I really appreciate that, that perspective and, um, the, the analogy with like, or not even analogy, the lived experience, like, well, these guys don't even fucking ask my last name. So <laughs> why like, I fucking, yeah, I, get, I like get that. to know you, get to know your partners, get to yeah. know your partners. If, if you ask a person straight up, they still don't owe you an answer. Um, but if you express straight up that I don't want to sleep with a trans person, that person should get up and leave. They still don't owe you the, the response, whether or not they are trans, but they, but you, if you've set that boundary, no matter how prejudicial your boundaries are, <laughs> they are, you know, they should be respected and you have every right to set that boundary. No one has ever set that boundary with me though. No one has ever said, I don't want to fuck trans people. And you, you know, and I do screen people usually. If I talk to them on a dating app, I'll be like, so what do you think about them gays, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And see, and and 
I would say, you know, when I did finally come out on the internet, I mean, I'm still talking to most of the men that I've slept with in my life. You know, so many of them reached out. I haven't spoken to them for years and they're just like, oh my God, stunning and brave. Like, you know what I mean? They're, they're just like, I usually pick good people. I had one man who was like, don't you think you should have told me? And I was like, don't you think you should have told your girlfriend that you fucked me behind her back? Like, do you know what I mean? Like my heart didn't break for him, the fucking cheater. So it's again, like, did you ask? any personal question did you ask a single person i i can't my life has been so affected by what i am my life is one long list of traumas essentially i have very few good memories you cannot ask into my life without me like two questions in breaking down and going okay fuck it i'm trans like <laughs> because i don't have any normal experiences my whole life has been fucked so you can imagine the level i have had like regular lovers over years that I still have not had a single deep enough conversation with because just because they haven't bothered to ask that's not what they're there for like look at yourself before you get so fucking upset you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I appreciate you you sharing that because the, the the thing that stood out to me was like you know the l- like lack of disclosure I guess is like the lack of disclosing is not because the intention is to trap someone you know what i mean like that's how that's how a lot of people i, I think think of that because the trap narrative is like pretty pervasive I, I just watched the the documentary disclosure on netflix um at a you know suggestion from um someone else uh who's also been on the podcast they were great and like that has been a story in a lot of cinema for a long time and so i feel like that's a pretty strong narrative for a lot of cis people cis men in particular and so like this the extrapolation of that story is like well if they don't tell me it's because they're trying to trap me it's because the evil you know manipulative whatever is like trying to yeah trying to trap that's me. A, so, that's a great point actually that's such a great point like it's looked at from a fundamentally different angle like i have never not told someone and and like haha made you fuck or whatever that sound was right it's just like it's just like at what point at 2 a.m drunk at the bar was this going to be relevant it it, we're just living life and and it's also like you cannot create a world that is unsafe for people and then expect them to just be like hello world this is who i am all the fucking time you know yeah, that was something I wanted to speak to about because I know we have uh, some Instagram messages about this is like this idea of labels, right, for our identity and our sexuality. And, you know, you, you've, you've used the term queer, right, and used um, the term you know, transsexual, transgender. Um, and I recognize there's differences between those and, and maybe this is not the exact moment for delineating those. But like the the... I guess like the talking point that I'm kind of uh, getting at here is like this idea of, well, we don't need these labels and, and you shouldn't just, we, you can just be humans. We can just be ourselves. Like, why do we need these labels? We shouldn't need them. And I, and I really appreciated the, the message that you sent to me about this and it echoes my own opinions. But I was wondering if you wanted to share about your thoughts on like that talking point. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what, what we wrote, but I think essentially my opinion on that is that uh, we need these labels because they're also political identities 
and they are, you know, there's legislation against this. There is, there, there is campaigning against it. There's, you know, you need, we need the labels because we need to be able to have the conversations that are, that are required. You know, we aren't left alone. People who are trans, people who are gay, you know, so, so as long as, you know, gay marriage is debated, we have to talk about what it is to be gay. As long as anti-trans legislation is being debated, we, we have to talk about what it is to be trans. And as long as there exists a norm, people are also going to define themselves away from it somehow if they don't fit into it, right? Um, I Because, you know, on, on a personal level, I don't think the labels are necessary in terms, like for me, I, I, I don't have to put a, I don't consider myself trans. I am trans because of how, because of what I am. I don't, I mean, I am queer because of how my life was. Um, I'm a woman because that's the, that's the gender that I fulfill the most of the criteria for. I don't feel like a woman. Like I don't, I don't sit around and feel like any of these things. It's, 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 um, it's just what you are. And it's, 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 it's a way to, to talk about yourself in society. If it, if it wasn't so fucking shocking when a man sucked a dick, we wouldn't have to have the term gay or, or bi or fluid or anything, you know, it's, the terms are, are, are relevant politically and to, to express who you are. But I, I mean, it's never the people who are branded who, who thought that that was necessary to begin with, you know. And this is what you see now with people finding the term cis offensive for, yeah. <laughs> for some crazy reason, right? It's it's offensive. And I don't identify that way as if people as if people identify as trans for comfort or something and not because not because they're trying to get access to medical care and and and, and equal rights and yeah. Yeah, the the whole cis thing is is or the the taking offense at it is very just an interesting, strange phenomenon, in my opinion. And people are like, because I've, I've kind of spoken a little bit about it online, and I, I get some people go like, "This is it's a new word. It's only just been like you know in the last couple of years since you know, oh, fuck I'll name and shame like since Jordan Peterson has started." And it's like, oh for fuck's sake! And without recognizing that the term's been around for like forty years, you know, already, um, if not longer, and it's an adjective rather than like you know, and you know, something that you identify as, and it just like is. Oh God, it's, it's painful. And I, I, you know, and I don't even, I deal with like a fraction, a minuscule of like some of the shit that, you know, um, trans folks, you know, deal with online. And it just is like, I honestly can't comprehend how. I don't find it difficult on the internet. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, I don't know if I get less of it than the average trans person or, or if it's because I had so much of it in real life for most of my life. People hating on the, like, it means so little to me. I just, I just, I'm, I'm very comfortable with my relationship with closing down apps and blocking people. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it really, I thought that it would be, and for a while it was very triggering of for old wounds until I realized how little power anonymous profiles have compared to like real life groups of people that I grew up with. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I don't really care. Like people will say, I am so confident in myself now. And, you know, people will try shit with me. And it's like, I think I, I, I managed to, to immunize, immunize, is that how you say it myself? Like 
people will be like, everyone can tell that you're actually a man. And it's like, I lived stealth for a decade. I fucked so many people who didn't know. I've dated people who didn't know. I've gone to school. People who didn't know teachers and nobody knew doctors didn't know. Like it, it, so you can say it all you want, but my lived experience says something different. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm very, very immune to the usual chitter chatter of the internet because of how I lived my life and because of what, how that has informed because I'm nothing if not rational. I'm nothing if not logical. And even, even my self-hatred and insecurities can't bypass my lived experience. It just, it's just never going to happen. I appreciate you, you sharing about like your relationship with social media because that is something that I personally struggle with and I don't have a very good relationship with closing down apps and blocking people, um, something I'm trying to work on, reading a book about it at the moment really healthy it's really good for you <laughs> yes I, I know i know that conceptually intellectually i just need to embody it i think but something that like is this is semi-related but i just you know have no one i've not really had an opportunity to share this with anyone else but something that i find like just so funny and not because i have a lived experience of it just because i see the like i just see trans folks laughing about it is when like you know transphobes are accidentally gender affirming just think that's so fucking funny to me um, i don't know why i find it so funny but i just see trans folks laughing about it and i every time i see it just like makes me smile because of how like just dumb people are you know like that's maybe that's what what gets me it's just like the the ignorance and the the stupidity of people like when someone says to a trans man you'll never be a woman like is that yes. what you mean? yeah yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it's just Oh my goodness. You know, I, um, yeah, yeah, I can't, I just can't, but, um, I'm mindful of time, CC, and I, and I don't, I recognize it's super late over there. So I just want to meet and be mindful of that. But there's, you know, there's a lot of talk, I suppose, in some of the spaces that I, you know, run in. And I think this is in mainstream narratives as well of like this idea of the erasure of womanhood, right? This, this, you know, you know, the whole what is a woman kind of Matt Walsh fiasco that, you know, was going down and still kind of is going down. But like beyond that, there's this, you know, kind of talk around femininity being erased or, you know, specifically I, I hear womanhood being erased. And and so I wanted to like ask you around what your thoughts are on that kind of talking point. I, you know, disagree with it. And I, I push back against both that and like the quote unquote attack on masculinity. I think they're both nonsense. But I was curious what your thoughts are on like that quote unquote erasure of womanhood. I think I think maybe stereotypical womanhood should be erased and maybe stereotypical masculinity should be attacked because they're both fucking toxic. That's that's the first thing. But beyond that, like where beyond little corners of the internet is anyone being erased and attacked? Where in your real lived life, when you go to work at 8 a.m. in the morning, are you seeing masculine men having their masculinity attacked and normal women being erased? Is it because you have like in your office of 400 people, you have three queer people and you have to respect them? Is that like, is that the erasure? Because I'm just not seeing it really. Is it because, and the thing is like people tell on themselves when they make trans male inclusive language about erasing cis women because trans women it's, you know like when they talk about you know things like 
birthers or like whatever it is that they have issues with, which I mean, I understand, I wouldn't even want to be called a birther either. But first of all, that's not about them either. It's it's other people. But but secondly, how is that about trans women? Because like the TERFs love to point, like, you know, that anti-trans people love to point out, I can never get pregnant. I'm very comfortable with this. A lot of people love to like attack me with it. I'm very comfortable with this. I love it. Like I can have a, you know, breeding kink all I want with no breeding. It's magical to me. I don't want children. But it has nothing to do with trans women. But trans women are somehow centered in everything, even things that have nothing to do with them. You know, and so it's, it's to me, that sort of reveals that it's just, it's, it's, it sort of just smells like plain old homophobia, you know, and, and, and the fear of femininity, the hatred of femininity, especially if that femininity is embodied in, in someone with, uh, that you deem should be a man or something, right? I don't think womanhood is being erased. I do, I, I can understand. I can understand being a, a cis woman and finding it suffocating that people who have been, who have lived as a woman for all of two months have a lot of opinions and are speaking very loudly. I can understand that. Like, I'm I'm not trying to, to dismiss that at all. But <laughs> like, where is this being erased? Where? Yeah, it's a, I mean, bit, of a bit of a terminally online opinion. You know, I often feel that around like the quote unquote equivalent of the attack on masculinity. It's like, as you pointed out, like where in your day-to-day life is that occurring to who's telling you that you can't be masculine on a day-to-day basis, right? If you're not trawling Twitter or some fucking TikTok, like who's actually specifically stopping you from going out and chopping wood or whatever other traditionally and it's, and it's masculine never thing in, you want to oh, do? Sorry. No, no, it's never in response to positive things, by the way. It's never in response to like, oh no, I you know I I actually work and take care of everything and and uh, I'm the main breadwinner and I'm, I'm also like it's never in response to shit like that. It's like, how dare you demonize me for sexual assault or something? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It's never in response to a positive occurrence. No one is looking at a man who is doing everything positive that a man should be doing if you want to call it that and going stop doing that no one is looking at a man who is a great father a great husband a great co-worker a great friend a great person in general and going you better stop being so goddamn masculine no one is doing that like i don't it seems like such a such a and it's so ironic that people who invent these victim narratives are the same people looking at people like me who have been brutalized our whole lives and going like, stop being a victim. And do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just, I really don't understand what it is. People, what, what is being taken from you? What masculinity is under attack? Homophobia? misogyny like is that what you consider i don't even consider that masculine you know i have i have very different ideas about what's masculine and what's feminine always have i see you know i grew up with xena warrior princess and stuff like that and that to me was like women you know <laughs> like women who could you know kill men doing that was like my idea of a woman jerry halliwell from spice girls like very loud women 
And men to me are like, you know, the men in my family who are all kind and gentle and sweet. My dad is like the most wonderful man in the world. My grandpa is so wonderful. They all know how to cook. They all know how to clean. They're they're, uh, understanding and patient and, you know, have a lot of excellent soft masculine qualities, but are also, you know, like my dad is a constructing architect. He knows that he, he built their house with his own fucking hands it's like like i don't know what people think masculinity and femininity is outside of violence and sexual assault like i just i don't like what is it really and we're having all of these conversations on the internet and every time i hear people talk about it i'm just like are you for real like it sounds like satire (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah And it's like a lot of the people having these conversations, I'm just like, you would not know how to skin a goat. Like, why are you talking about these like traditional things? Like I grew up in the Faroe Islands. Most people that I know know how to fucking skin up a sheep. They know how to shoot something. They know how to do all these things. They don't run around talking about it all the time. It's something you do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that is a, I I want to, um, say that's a whole thing that I have been very interested in is like the men's reclaiming masculinity thing where they go out into nature and they go and, I don't know, shoot guns and, and, uh, you know, learn how to live off the land and things like that. As if like, yeah, there's there's some like privilege, cultural appropriation stuff there that I haven't fully unpacked yet. But like this idea of just like spending a weekend away, like, you know, and then coming back to your, your, house in the in the burbs afterwards like just feels like they're cosplaying as you know people from they are you know the islands yeah so but i want to say a big thank you thank you for for spending the time just chatting with me and um sharing so openly and candidly not only here but also you know everywhere where people can find you online um it's really you know it is it is really refreshing and, and i've learned a lot from listening to you and from you know chatting with you today so i'm just really appreciative for you setting aside the time to do that Thank you. And I, I enjoy following you too. You remind me sometimes, some days I need a reminder that men are people too. <laughs> because, <laughs> because sometimes men be menning a little too hard. Sure. And yeah. it's, it's, it's nice to have positive male role models on the internet because I, there's a desperate lack of them. There really is. And so I really love that you do that. And I love that you focus on bringing that to not not just getting the woman points for it but that you focus on bringing that to men and helping men sort of navigate that in a healthy compassionate way that that is very very inspiring so thank you for that as well really lovely thank you so much um i'll I'll let you go but it's yeah it's been really lovely to connect and i'll uh, talk to you again really really soon okay thank you for having me see you Bye. bye Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a youtube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast so like i said if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me 
then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.